Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us online to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Our scripture today comes from Romans chapter 16, verse 20. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Maddie, thanks for doing our reading today. Would you pray with me as we ask the Lord to speak to us through his word? Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that we can be on your side, that we can be on the winning side, and thank you that you win, and we win with you. Lord, as we look in your word today, we pray that we'd be encouraged, that our hope would be lifted, that our eyes would be looked lifted beyond this world to what you have in store for us that is so beautiful and so wonderful. We invite now the Holy Spirit to be our teacher, for him to speak through me words that honor Christ and are true to your word. We pray these things through our Savior Jesus. Amen. Well, today's sermon is titled, We've Won, and it has nothing to do with the recent elections. I'm thinking a lot higher than that and beyond that. Um, We'll get to that in a moment, but it was the late 1990s, and I was pastoring the International English-Speaking Church in Athens, Greece. It was the largest English-speaking church in the country, which sounds really impressive, but there weren't too many English-speaking churches there. And as part of my responsibilities, I actually had three different church locations spread it out over Athens. And so I'd preach at one church, and then I'd drive 30 to 40 minutes depending on the traffic to another church, and I'd preach there. And then later in the evening, I'd preach at another church another 30, 45 minutes away. So Sundays were pretty busy. But during the week, I was busy too. I taught three women's Bible studies during the week, and that's because I taught one as a a guest speaker, and they asked me to come back each week, and it grew to the point we had to multiply it, and it ended up becoming three. And then I not only had that, but I had a discipleship leadership class I taught once a week. I had a men's accountability group that I taught once a week, and I had a home group that I taught once a week. So I was really busy. And then we had a Filipino fellowship, and they had me speak there once a month. And then they had an Indonesian fellowship, and I spoke there once a month. And then we had an Ethiopian fellowship that had like two or three hundred people in it. And they had me come on special occasions, and they had me do all their weddings. And if you've never been to an Ethiopian wedding, well, they show up an hour late after I brought up the church. The wedding takes three hours in a language I don't understand except my part uh, that they translate. And then there's the reception, and the reception goes all night. And so I had really, and it was always on a Sunday, so it was a very, very long day after three services and wedding and receptions and things like that. But in addition... I was the only person I know of in the country that could do legal weddings for Protestants. And so any Protestant that came on a tour that wanted to get married in Greece and do their honeymoon there, I did their wedding. And there were tour groups who bring groups in and people from my church, and I was quite busy, but my heart was quite full. Well, one day I got a call out of the blue, and it was from a tour company, and it was operated in Greece, but it was an American company, and they brought Americans over to Greece to follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul, and they were looking for a lecturer to speak to their tour groups, a qualified lecturer. And the previous lecture they had was retiring, and they needed someone the next week. And they wanted someone who was a native English speaker, someone who was theologically trained, 
And someone, preferably who lived in Greece rather than the previous lecture, who had the, they had to pay to fly in uh, every time there was a tour. And so they approached me, and they asked me if I would do it, and they told me that I would have to come up with four lectures, and they'd be one-hour lectures, and I'd give them Tuesday and Thursday at 8 in the morning and 8 at night, and there'd be a different tour group every week, so once I wrote the lectures, they'd be the same lectures, and they said they'd pay me $100 an hour per lecture. Well, this was almost 25 years ago. That's when $100 was almost worth $100, you know? It was a lot of money. That was an extra $400 a week if I gave the lecture. That's more than my salary at the church. And, by the way, it was tax-free because I'm living overseas, blah, yada, yada, yada. So without hesitation, when they told me this, I said, no. I said, I'm way too busy. i got too many other things to do. I can't do this. So I asked them, I said, well, do you have any other names that you're looking at? And they said, well, we have an appointment with the academic dean at Laverne University, the American University here in Athens, and he's going to give us a name. And I said, oh, you're meeting with Jeff Nonemaker. He's my friend. He's going to give you my name. <laughs> His eyes got really big. He was really desperate. And he said, we will pay you $200 an hour to give a lecture. To which I responded, I'm not really that busy. <laughs> and then they told me the four topics. I could say anything I wanted, but they gave me the four topics. And they said, the first topic is we want you to talk about Paul in Athens. We want you to talk about Paul in Corinth. We want you to talk about Paul in Thessaloniki or Thessalonica, as it was called back then. And we want you on your last lecture to speak on the lasting legacy of the Apostle Paul. And I could write anything I wanted. And I would preach these lectures over and over again to groups, hundreds, sometimes hundreds of people that would come through Greece week after week. Well, for the last lecture, for Paul's lasting legacy, I decided to go to the book of Romans, and I said, Paul's lasting legacy is the clarity in which he gave the gospel message. And so my last lecture would be going through the book of Romans, sharing the gospel of Jesus. And I got to do that with hundreds of people coming to Greece. And I made $200 an hour, by the way. <laughs> I mentioned this story because as we come to the last, yes, the last sermon in our series, The Book of Romans, where we've covered a whole lot of ground since we started back in April of 2021. And we had a little bit of hiatus there because I was gone for a little bit. Um, but if someone were to ask you what the book of Romans is about, you might be totally overwhelmed. And so today, I want to help you understand what the book is about in a very simple manner. There's some outlines by the door. If you didn't get one, you're welcome to jump up and get one. You might want that. And if you're watching online, they're available on a website. But let me give you a summary to the letter of Romans. Here's the summary. The letter to the Romans is about the good news of Jesus. It's about the good news of Jesus. In other words, the gospel. That's what it's about. So someone says, what's the book of Romans about? You say, it's about the good news. And if they ask you what good news, you tell them about Jesus. Remember how the book started out in verse 16 of chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the apostle Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now that's a big thing for any of us, but it's especially a big thing when you can be beheaded, as he would be, for preaching the gospel. And yet he's not ashamed that he believes the good news of Jesus Christ. What about you? 
He says, for it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation. Salvation is a wonderful thing. Everybody wants to be saved. Everybody wants to be forgiven. Everybody wants to be guilt-free. Everybody wants to go to heaven when they die, or at least everybody should. And the gospel is God's power to make that happen. But it's only to everyone who believes. You must put your faith in Jesus for this power to be activated, for you to be a winner, to you to get heaven. And it went to the Jew first, and then to the Greek, or in this case, he means the non-Jews, the Gentiles, the gospel went out. You see, salvation is a big deal. In fact, it's the biggest deal. And yet, non-Christians take it way too lightly. Many of them are ignorant of it, or if they know about it, they reject it. Christians tend to take the gospel, the good news, too lightly, and they live their lives as if nothing's really changed in their life, even though their whole life has changed and their destiny has changed, and everything about the gospel ought to change everything about us. And so the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Romans to tell them the gospel is a really big deal. It changes not only where you spend eternity, but it ought to change how you live right now every single day of your life. So in this letter that we call the book of Romans, we have the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'd like us to do an overview today, a review for those who have been with me the whole time through the series. And if you're new to the series, this is an introduction. And if you want to see the whole series, it's available audio on our podcast and video on our website. Paul starts the letter with some really bad news. Because good news sounds even gooder, (laughs) sounds even better when you've heard the bad news. And so look at the bad news in verse 18 of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. I mean, who wants God's wrath? But it's revealed from heaven against who? All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And he says, if you don't believe the truth, if you don't think truth matters, which has been the the title of this whole series, if you don't believe the truth of the gospel You can experience God's wrath. That is the bad news. He says all of us are doomed without Christ. No exceptions. The worst of us to the best of us. The meanest of us to the nicest of us. The sweetest grandma to the vilest serial offender. I'm trying not to look at anybody when I say that. (laughs) We are all doomed, damned. And destined for destruction. That is the bad news. And until you recognize the bad news, you're not going to recognize the fact that you need to be rescued. Remember the story I told of the Titanic? By the way, Titanic comes from a Greek word, titanikos. (laughs) It means strong and mighty, and they called the Titanic that because they thought it was unsinkable, invincible. Yet on April... 1912, on its maiden voyage, the RMS Titanic, on the fourth day of a seven-day journey, transatlantic journey, 3,600 miles, it struck an iceberg and began to sink in the 28-degree icy Atlantic waters. And because it was deemed unsinkable, there were not enough lifeboats for all the people on board the ship. And yet the sad irony is, is when the ship started to sink, half of the lifeboats were only half full. Why? 
because people didn't believe they were doomed. They wouldn't accept the bad news. So they didn't accept the good news. Out of a approximate Number of people on the church, passenger and cruise estimated to be 2,200 people. Only 705 people were rescued. All of them rescued because they recognized the bad news and they accepted the good news. But the majority would perish. People are stubborn in the face of ultimate doom. And that's what the Apostle Paul tells us in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He talks about our stubbornness in the face of doom. Chapter 2, verse 4, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness, speaking of God's kindness, and his forbearance, his patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God is trying to get you to change your mind. That's what the word repentance means, to recognize you need to be saved. But because of your stubbornness, Because of your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. You often hear stubborn people say something like, how can a loving God send people to hell? Well, he doesn't send them there. They volunteer. (laughs) He's offering them a rescue. And they reject it. That isn't God's fault. And he says here, it's your stubborn attitude that leads to I'm not getting in that lifeboat. No way am I getting in that lifeboat. I don't believe in lifeboats. I don't think I need a lifeboat. The ship's not going to go down. Your stubbornness leads to your own doom. So a summary of the book is the good news of Jesus, the gospel. Now let's look at some main points of the letter. Number one here, if you're looking at your outline, some main points of the letter. Jesus has come to rescue the damned, and that means you. And if you don't want to write the word damned, put doomed, you know, if you don't like to use the damn word. But Jesus has come to rescue the damned or the doomed, and that means you. This is the good news. In fact, it's fantastic news. The world is a sinking titanic. It is doomed but you don't have to be because Jesus has come to rescue a damned world. He's come to rescue you. Politicians can't save you. Your party can't rescue you, but Jesus does. We win regardless of what happens on this doomed world in the meantime. Look with me at Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Romans 8, 1, Apostle Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation, no damnation. You're not doomed, you're not damned for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the lifeboat. You have to step into Jesus to be saved, he says. But not everyone recognizes they're doomed. Not everyone recognizes they need to be saved. They look at their life and they have a nice home. They look at their life and they have a good job. They have a reasonably attractive spouse (laughs) who they like and they enjoy. Their car is paid for. Their cholesterol is really good. Their blood pressure, well, it's being managed. And they didn't lose their taste and smell when they got COVID. Life is good. 
They don't feel doomed. But they're wrong. All of us are doomed, damned, and destined for destruction. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, all, everyone, and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't make it to heaven on our own. We fall short. Perhaps you remember the Grand Canyon story I told. I went to the Grand Canyon with one of my sisters, Trisha, and at that time she had two boys. And with the two boys, Trisha and I were standing at the ends of the Grand Canyon. Grand Canyon is larger than the state of Rhode Island. It's 277 miles long. It's 18 miles wide and a mile deep. And we're standing there. Now, the rest of the story is imaginary. But suppose we are standing there and we go, hmm, you think we can jump across? 18 miles. And I look at my sister and said, ladies first. <laughs> I'm a gentleman. <laughs> so my sister, Trisha, who contracted polio as a little girl here in Hawaii, has one leg that's weaker than the other. She can't run. So she just gets to the edge and she jumps. And she jumps one foot. Whew, one foot, 18 miles, boom, plummets down. Far short. So then her youngest son says, I can do better than that. <laughs> and he jumps two feet. He's twice as good as mom, but plummets to the bottom. And then the other son, he jumps, and he jumps four feet. He's four times better than his mom, twice as good as his brother, and he falls far short of the 18 miles. And then it's my turn. And in this imaginary story, I don't know why I would still jump, (laughs) but I do. Remember, in the sixth grade, I was a standing broad jump champion. I should have a ribbon, shouldn't I? You know? And uh, so I come, and I run, and I jump, and I go, I don't know, where do I go? 16 feet? Okay, 12 feet? Let's take it 12. I go 12 feet. That's 12 times better than my sister. Look at me! I fall far short. No matter how good you are, you're not going to make it to heaven on your own. It is absolutely impossible to span the distance because of our sin. And so Jesus comes and rescues us. Jesus has come to rescue the damned, and that means you. And rescue, he does. Next thing I want to look at is something that many Christians don't know because they haven't been properly taught. And once you're taught, you see it all through the New Testament. It's number two on your outline, and that's the fact that your rescue has three stages. Your rescue has three stages. Let's talk about those three stages. The first stage is that The first stage has been accomplished. The first stage has been accomplished. It's already done. Has been. The second stage is being accomplished. Is being accomplished. It's going on right now. And the third stage of your rescue will be accomplished. Will be accomplished. It's future. It's a package deal. You don't get one without the other. So let's look at these stages a little more in depth. If you look at your notes there. First, Jesus saves you from the penalty of sin. Jesus saves you from the penalty of sin. That's what the Bible calls justification as we went through the book of Romans. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, the judge, God said, not guilty. When you go to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm surprised how many Christians don't know this, There will not be one sin that is brought before Jesus because he's already paid the debt for your sin. And that's why we're told that that 
debt against you was nailed to the cross. And so when you go to the judgment seat as a Christian, the only thing being judged, it's a reward ceremony, and you get the prizes for the good things you did. The bad things have all been forgiven. You've been declared righteous. Well, the second phase, secondly, Jesus saves you from the power of sin. The power of sin. That's called sanctification. That's what we're going through right now. That's the struggle we have, Paul says. He struggles. He knows what to do. But he ends up doing the thing he's not supposed to do. And that's why we see in Romans 8, we have the Holy Spirit to help us. We have the Holy Spirit in us to give us the desire and the power to live godly Christian lives on a daily basis. And so your salvation is in process. But there's a third phase we saw. Third, Jesus saves you from the very presence of sin. From the presence of sin. That's glorification. That's when you make it to the finish line. That's when you're in heaven with Jesus. And there's no sin in you. There's no sin in the people around you. There's no sin in the world. It's a perfect place. So you have been saved. You are being saved. And you will be saved. It's a three-part rescue. And in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul mentions all three phases. He happens to mention the second stage first, because that's the one we're all in right now. Romans 8, 28, he says, and, I, and we know that God causes all things, in the context he's talking about suffering and hardship, God causes all these hardships to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Well, what is the good? What is the purpose? Well, it's what's going on right now, and why does God allow suffering and hardship right now to accomplish his purpose? What is that purpose? Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. We saw when we studied this passage, that word actually means predetermined, because you still have some choices in this. For whom he foreknew, he also predetermined. To what? To be conformed to the image of his son. That's the plan. We'll be like Christ. So all the trials and suffering you're going through right now, all the disappointments and the heartaches you're going through right now is part of your rescue, and it's to make you more like Jesus Christ. And then he says, verse 30, And whom he predestined, these he also called And whom he called, these he justified. That's that first stage of your salvation. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. That's the third stage of your salvation. But you and I are still in the second stage. But as Paul writes this, he's saying, you've already won. All three go together. And that's why in Ephesians, he tells us, God sees us as seated already in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. From God's viewpoint, we've already finished the race, and we've won. It's guaranteed. I promised we'd look at Romans 16.20 last week, and so let's look at it. Romans 16.20, look at this victory. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. We win. It's guaranteed. The devil loses. The fight may still be going on, but that's only to develop Christ's likeness in you and me. So here's your action step. Look into your outline. Action step. 
Stop overestimating the power of evil. And stop underestimating the power of good. For some reason, we Christians, because we're influenced by the world, have this idea that good and evil is like yin and yang. That good and evil are the same, only opposites. They have the same strength, their own power, and you have to tap into one or the other. That's a lie. Evil comes from a finite creature, the devil, and evil is finite, it's limited. Good comes from an all-powerful, unlimited, uncreated being, God. And good is unlimited. It's not a teeter-totter, folks. It's a pea shooter versus, I don't know, atomic weapon. Stop overestimating evil. I see so many Christians get so upset because the election went this way or that way. You're overestimating evil. You're overestimating the devil. We win, folks. There's some challenges. There's some hardships. There's some disappointments. It's all part of the process of the second stage of your salvation to make you more dependent on Jesus Christ. We win. I close the series and the sermon with Romans 12, 21. Paul says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We win. We've already won. And we've won big. Would you pray with me? I'd like to ask you to bow your heads even if you're watching us online this morning. I'd like you to look at your heart and, and the first phase, the first stage of salvation starts with you recognizing you're doomed, you're damned, you're destined for destruction. You need to be rescued. If you believe Jesus died for your sins to rescue you, if you believe he rose from the grave and he conquered death, but you've never called out to him specifically to say, Lord, save me, rescue me. In the quietness of this moment in your own heart, I urge you to tell him that you want to be saved and ask him to save you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the good news, the guaranteed good news that we win in Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to live in that victory and to draw other people to you. And it's through Jesus, the saving name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.